Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. I would like you to think of a, uh, of a specific genre of television that has been around now in our country for about 40 years or so. And that is the, the genre of judicial reality shows. The very first one back in 1981 was The People's Court. And, and with The People's Court, that, that's been going on. And of course, there have been spinoffs, Judge Joe Brown, Judge Judy, whichever one you like. And, and there's something about them that has caught on in our society where, where people like to listen to these cases. And, and in some ways at home, what happens is you get to be the judge. And so as you're sitting there and you're listening to the evidence that a part of it, the, the appeal is that as you hear what each person is saying, that you get to determine who you think is right and then see if the judge and the law is on your side. Well, that type of television gave birth to another genre of television that is, is called uh, like a news magazine is what they call it, that genre. And that is shows like 60 Minutes or 2020 or Dateline NBC. And what these are is, is you're not necessarily the judge, but what they do in an hour-long program is they take you through cases and, and they, they lay out the evidence, they lay out testimony, what each person has to say, maybe the lawyers, and in that time, you also get to, to follow this and determine uh, who is the innocent one and who the, the guilty one is. Now, if you are like people at my house, you have your own way of determining who the guilty one is. I happen to be married to a human lie detector. She knows, five minutes in, that guy's lying. He is lying, he is guilty, and, and then we just have to wait 55 minutes because she ruined it for us to find out who, who the murderer is. But, but maybe you're not like that, that it's not just that, that, that you, have, uh, you are someone who looks for motive. That, that's what I tend to do. Show me the money, or show me the love triangle, and I will show you who, who the murderer is. So, so you just follow the motive, and the motive always plays out, and you'll find out who, who the murderer is. Or maybe you're the third type, who is like, you know what, I'm going to reserve judgment. I am going to listen to all the facts, and once they come in, and once I listen to everything they have to say, that is when I am going to make a, a decision. So, so we watch these programs, and, and if you are like me, there are some times when you agree with, with a verdict that's given, sometimes you disagree. But what really scared me a little bit the, this past year, about three, four months ago, is when I was called to, be, uh, to come down for a jury pool at the Maricopa Superior Court. And it, it just so happened on that day that not only uh, did I have to go down there, but then I got to go in a, a room with 50 other potential jurors, and we went through the process of narrowing that down to the group that would listen to the case. 
And that is when it, it, it really started to get a little scary. And, and, and as I listened to this, I, I realized, as I listened to the judge explain what our duties were, is that the way that I watched TV, this was going to have to be a little bit different. This was a, a totally different deal. And so one of the first things that, that we did was to find out as a juror if your point of view might be tainted. And, and so in this specific case, what, what they told us is they let us know a little bit about what the case was before we even started. And it was a situation where, where an individual had been pulled over for drunk driving, and, and after that there was a, an alleged altercation with the police and uh, that, that there was some type of, of, of fight and, and people going to the hospital and things like that. And so the question was asked of each individual there, uh, do you have anyone in your family, extended family, who are involved in law enforcement in any way? And I remember, I think it was juror number six, um, my my husband's a Phoenix police officer. My father was a police officer for the city of uh, Phoenix. My brother is a Phoenix police officer. And, uh, and I could see the, the attorney <laughs> make a mark uh, immediately. And, and when it came time to, to, for the jury selection, she was not on the jury. And, and so we look at that, that, that there are people that, that, that immediately, because of your past, the decisions you make and the verdicts you come up with are, are affected by that. Another thing that, that the judge told us, and, and it was very, very interesting, and, and he said that when you look at the person who's accused of a crime, that don't look at what they look like. You cannot do that, that whoever's sitting there, whether it, it's someone who is in a nice business suit and, and looks professional, or whether it's someone who, who looks, just looks to you like they could be trouble or a criminal, that person that right now, if you had to make a decision immediately, you would have to make the decision that they are not guilty because the person sitting there is innocent until proven guilty. And it made me realize that, that in my life, sometimes... I do the opposite, that I look at people and, and as I see them on the side of the road, as I see them in their car, as I see them at the store, wherever it is, that, that sometimes I do rush to judgment, that I see them and, and I, I assume oftentimes the worst about them. Then the judge told us is, is that this, there, there are going to be times when, when someone might seem really guilty to you, but finally what you need to do if you're going to be on this jury is you need to be able to look at the evidence objectively. You need to look at what is laid before you and, and see if the case has been made and follow the evidence to the proper verdict in this trial. Now, now, as we consider that, that is something that I think all of us, to one extent or another, are interested in. Maybe not being on a jury, not spending the time to do that, but if you have a conscience, and if you have a sense of right or wrong, and if you are someone who believes that there should be, on some level, justice in the world, 
that, that this kind of rings true to us. It's the reason why this type of television show just continues, uh, and, and it only seems fueled by things like the O.J. Simpson trial or, or Jody Arias or whatever it is that, that we're sucked into that, and we want to know what's going on, and we want to hear the evidence, and we want justice to take place. But we also need to understand that, that God has put that in us for another reason. And that is because we are constantly being presented with evidence from God. Constant evidence, not only about his existence, as, as I talked about the, the passage from Psalm 53 about the fool says in his heart there is no God, and, and as the Psalms specifically talk about the world and the way God made it, there's evidence that he exists. We're not even going to talk about that today, but what we're going to talk about is the evidence the evidence that's presented that Jesus is the Son of God. And and as we do that, it it is incumbent, it is essential for each individual here because each individual here one day is going to face God and, and you have this obligation to God to hear this evidence so that when you are before him, it's not a surprise. So today we will see that Jesus is the Son of God, and we will see that because there is evidence like none other. We can start right now by filling in the first blank. And as we look, first of all, what evidence is. Evidence is an available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true. Evidence is an available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true. Now, as we do that, you might remember last week, Pastor Jeff had a, a message, and his, his message was testimony like none of like none other. So if you think of a courtroom situation, this, this is the, the individuals who are going to come in and they're going to speak and you're going to listen what they have to say. You're going to listen to their testimony. But today we're going to look specifically at evidence that, that these hard facts, the, these things that you see that are presented, uh, that, that are just laid before you. And in some ways you can say the evidence speaks for itself. That, that we look at it and, and it's simple facts that we are going to look, out, look at that are presented before us and, and whether that evidence supports or doesn't support beliefs or convictions or thoughts that you might have. Now, as we do that, we're going to go to, to Luke chapter 7, and, and I will read that in just a second, but we need to remember, first of all, because we're going to be looking at evidence we need to be reminded of who Luke is. And Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He was not one of the 12. So if you're looking for, for his name, uh, it's in the Bible as the, the gospel of Luke. He's the one who wrote it. But he did not write it as a follower of Jesus Christ. He did not follow Jesus around on his ministry. Instead, what Luke was, he, he was a very well-educated person of his day, and he happened to be a doctor. And for that reason, if you would go in the Gospel of Luke and count, you would find that Luke includes more miracles than any other Gospel. 
that as a doctor, when it came to things that had to do with healing, Luke was especially interested. And so what he did, his gospel was written from a a style of investigative reporting, that many of the things that, that Luke reports about, he did not see personally. But instead, what he did is he heard about these things, then went back, researched them, tried to find these people, maybe interviewed them to find out exactly what happened. That makes Luke very, very, very valuable to us. Because as we look at at this, we, we look at someone who's done this research for us. And so as we look at his gospel, we, we look at it in the way that it was given. He wrote this this gospel to a friend of his named Theophilus. In the very beginning of Luke, he says, Theophilus, what I have done so that you know all of what, was, uh, what you've heard about Jesus is true is I, I've set to write this account and lay it out in an orderly fashion so that you have all the information laid before you. That's the purpose of Luke, and that's how we're going to use it today. So it's Luke who wrote this. He said, John's disciples told him about these things, about all the things that were happening in Jesus' ministry. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So now we have this this account, and it is one where John, and the person here who's John is John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist was about maybe three to six months older than Jesus. He was a distant relative of Jesus. And what happened in in John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, is that we are told he was a Nazarene, so he, he never cut his hair, never drank wine, that he was a very devoted uh, person to the Jewish religion. And then what happened is when he would have been about 30 years old, the time when a public ministry began, that John the Baptist went out, guided by the Holy Spirit, and he preached a message of repentance. Repent. Turn from sin. Uh, because the kingdom of heaven is near. So that was John's message. Uh, Repent, repent, repent. The kingdom is coming. The Savior is coming. You must be ready for him. And, And for that reason, he also baptized people in the Jordan River. Now, you might remember then is while he was baptizing one day, Jesus came. And when Jesus came to the the Jordan River, that's when John said, I should not baptize you but you should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. And then Jesus told him, no, all righteousness must be fulfilled, that this baptism must must take place. And when Jesus went down in the water, and, and normally it would be a baptism of repentance where individuals would confess their sin and be encouraged and forgiven by John, that something different happened. And that is that, that there was the voice of the Father speaking from heaven about Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. At that time, the Holy Spirit also came down in the form of a dove. And and we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity that is there. This is what John the Baptist was able to witness. 
It was later, like the next day or a few days later, it happened numerous times, where John the Baptist said, he must become greater, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. He also pointed to Jesus and said, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was John the Baptist that Jesus said, there's no one that's been born of women greater than John the Baptist. So maybe, as we look at John the Baptist, it might be a little disconcerting to you if you hear that John asked the question, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? And, and so we, you see, even in John the Baptist, there seems to be some type of doubts. In the blank, you can write, Why would John the Baptist have doubts about Jesus and whether he was the Christ? I have a few possible answers. First of all, his life, meaning John's life, John the Baptist, isn't what he expected. That his life is not what he expected it to be or that Jesus' ministry isn't what he expected Okay, so you have John the Baptist preaching a message of repentance, uh, pointing to Jesus as the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. That's his ministry. Well, then in his ministry, he's asked about sin, and specifically one of the sins that was going on in that day is there were two brothers who were, they really weren't kings, they were probably more like governors, but they called them kings. Both of their first names or, or their surnames were Herod. So there was Herod Philip and Herod Antipas. And these two were brothers, okay? So Herod Philip, Herod Antipas. Herod Philip is married to uh, a woman named Herodias. Nice, huh? Herod and Herodias. Well, then Herod Antipas comes over to see his brother, sees his wife and says, I like Herodias. Would you mind if I took her home with me? And so Herod Philip divorced her, divorced his wife, so that his brother could marry her. And then Herodias went and lived with Herod Antipas. John the Baptist was asked about this and what he thought about it. And he made it very clear, what you are doing, Herod, is wrong. It's sinful. You are living in sin. The divorce was wrong. You taking your brother's wife is wrong. This is sinful. Well, the problem is when you do that, they don't necessarily like being called out publicly uh, for their sin. And so John the Baptist was arrested. He was put in prison. And it was there in prison, as, as John was there for a long period of time, a substantial period of time, that he sent this message to, to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? And, and can you see why John might have started to wonder a little bit? Because this wasn't the way he expected it. That he expected if the Christ was going to come, and, and he preached the message of repentance and forgiveness, that the kingdom of God would come, that, that Jesus would be raised up as the Christ, and he, as the one who's you know, announcing the coming of the Christ, would probably ascend with him, maybe in some way, and not be in a dungeon where he's no longer to do, able to do any preaching. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but he would later be beheaded by Herod. 
that it's not what he expected. And so he looked at that in John's mind, the evidence, the evidence of his life made him believe that possibly Jesus wasn't the Christ. How about you? When when you look at the doubts that you have about God or, or the doubts that you have about Jesus, does it come because you look in your life and you simply say, that is not what I expected. This is not what I expected. When I came to know Jesus as my Savior, I did not expect, and, and man, I, I just have to be, be careful as I just talk here right now because I already told you that we get your prayer requests every week. And I know the pain and misery that you are going through And I am not speaking about individuals here when I say this individually, but it's going to feel like it when I say it. I didn't expect the family member to be an addict and and the misery that it was going to cause us. I didn't expect the loved one in my family to die before he reached 30 years old. I didn't expect the 12-year-old, to get cancer and to be told that she's not going to live past the time when she's 16. There's a bunch more, and, and we're praying for you. And I, I, and I can understand why it seems like the evidence says that God is not with you. But, but Christ tells us the exact opposite, and that is, is that as we look at these things, first of all, for John the Baptist, a sign that you are with Christ, there's going to be evidence that people will attack you, okay? If that's part of it, because of your faith, if, if you are hurting specifically because of your faith, Jesus promised that and, and said not only is that going to happen, but in the long run, trust him on this, you will be blessed because of it. The second part then is much more difficult when we look at people who are suffering, that it seems apart from their faith, that you would think that, that in their head, we think like John the Baptist might have that, that if I am someone who's loved by God, wouldn't I be the healthy one? Wouldn't I be the wealthy one? Wouldn't I be the one that was treated in a special way so that others would see his great love for me and affirm that I am his child? God's answer to that is no. That is not the evidence that he promises. But what he does is whatever we do go through, that as we have these struggles, that, that he is with us even to the end. And that John's, John's beheading, that John's imprisonment and ultimately his beheading ended with him going to be with the Lord forever in heaven, which is where he is right now. And that's the promise for us. As we go through these difficulties, the Lord is with us, and at the end of them, we will ultimately be with him. The second is like that with Jesus' ministry. They go hand in hand, don't they? When, when we look at Jesus' ministry and what we expect from him, and, and that's what Jesus, Jesus does. So let's go to the next words. And these are the words that point John to what he should have expected. This is what uh, Jesus said. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Wow, those are huge words at the end. Blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. Blessed are you when you don't stumble because you look at Jesus and he's not everything you want him to be. But you're able to look at Jesus and say he's everything that God wanted him to be. He's everything that God promised he would be. To help us understand that, uh, fill in the blank. Jesus told John's disciples to look at the evidence and compare it to the prophecy. Jesus told John's disciples to look at the evidence and compare it to the prophecy. Okay, this is the way prophecy works. If you have, had never met me before, okay, so imagine that you are someone who's been communicating through the website at uh, Crosswalk. And as you're communicating, you, we, we communicate back and forth, and finally you say, you know what, one Sunday I'm going to come to Crosswalk, and I would like to meet you, Pastor Dan. So what I would do is, is, since they don't know me, they've never seen me, I, I would tell them this. Come on Sunday morning, either at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. You can uh, come through the gate, uh, come into the auditorium, and then, and then walk in here and have a seat. And if you are coming this Sunday, I will have black shoes, blue jeans, uh, gray sweater, and I'll be standing in the, up on stage, I'll have a microphone, and then you'll know who I am. That's, that's, and then you'll know I'm Pastor Dan. And they say, okay. So what happens is they get here at 9 o'clock, they sit down, it's 9.05, and Jonathan's singing. And, and they say, is this the one who is to come? Or is this... <laughs> or something like that. And, and they look at him and they say, you know what, he's up on stage, he's doing part of that, but that's not, that's not exactly, there's some, some differences, right? And then I come out, and, and the reaction is, I thought he'd be taller. <laughs> I, I thought he would have more hair. He's more handsome than I thought. <laughs> Do you see what happens is people would come in with a certain amount of expectation and a certain amount of facts, and what happens is we have to sift through those expectations, those things we get in our mind of the way that we think it should be, and simply go back to the way that I said it would be, the, the, the facts that I gave you. And in the Bible, we call that prophecy, and in the Old Testament, Approximately 355 prophecies about Jesus. And what Jesus does here is, is tell John the Baptist, instead of looking in your heart, instead of looking at your surroundings, John, you know the Old Testament and you know the prophecies. And, and so that's when he says, when Jesus says, go back and report to John what you see and hear. 
Jesus is, is directing him back to the book of Isaiah. He's directing him to the Old Testament and simply saying, John, is Jesus doing everything that the Father said the Christ would do? Is he doing all those prophecies that, that were made over 1,500 years? Is Jesus fulfilling them? And John the Baptist was told, look at the evidence, John. And when he did, John the Baptist was, was brought back to, to what really mattered, the evidence pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We're going to look at some of that evidence as well. We continue. Here's one of the examples of a passage that is a prophecy about Jesus that Jesus was alluding to. This was actually a prophecy Jesus read at his hometown about the Christ and then telling the people, I'm the one. I'm the one who's doing these things. It's the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus, going back to these Old Testament prophecies about what the Christ would do, about how he would help people, about how he would share the gospel, the good news of forgiveness. And in Luke chapter 7, this is right before John the Baptist, this account This is the account before that Luke recorded. As Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying with him, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. We could do this, and maybe a message series would be good to do it. I I don't know, of having prophecy and fulfillment side by side. Because they, they are so clear. Actually, the gospel, if you read the book of Matthew, Matthew writing as a as a person who is Jewish and grew up Jewish, does a phenomenal job of it. If you look at Matthew, he, he, he gives the life of Christ and then he gives prophecy that is what Jesus is fulfilling at that moment. And it would have been so helpful for Jewish people to be able to look at the evidence, the things that they were seeing in front of them, and, and then understand the, the case that this evidence was proving. We can do the same. Now, as we do that, what does the evidence point to? The evidence in the life of Jesus, you can fill in the blanks, that first of all, the gospel or forgiveness is preached. So forgiveness is preached. Secondly, miracles are performed. Third, sin is paid for in full. And finally, resurrection from the dead. Let's start just with the first one. The, the, the first part, and, and this is a very important part, I don't know if you consider this evidence, but it is. It's evidence because of the fact that the Old Testament said it would happen and it did happen in the life of Jesus, and that is that Jesus proclaimed clearly that sins are forgiven, and he did it to people who did not deserve it. 
that he went to the, the marginalized people of his time, that he went to people who were not loved. He, he went to people like adulterers and tax collectors and prostitutes. And it, and it was individuals who had no right to ask from, from God that their sins be forgiven, that Jesus offered it freely. And now, I, I, again, I want you to, to just look at this from an evidence point of view. Did Jesus do this or not? And, and when you look at this, the whole body of evidence given in the Bible, when you have the, these accounts from Luke going over many different people, that, that you cannot argue that Jesus did that. You can argue you, all you want whether Jesus actually did forgive them or not. That's fine to be a skeptic about that. But when you look at that is something that Jesus did. Second one. The miracles, and this is the, this is the one that, that I think really gets people hung up with evidence, because as we look at this, that we look at evidence and we say, this miracles cannot be proved, right? They cannot be proven by us, that, that there's no way we can know for certain that, that somebody back then did a miracle. And that's where I encourage you to look at, at Luke as someone who was objective, as Luke who had nothing to gain from going back as a doctor. As a matter of fact, it would have been in Luke's best interest to disprove any miracles of healing because it made him look bad. That as a doctor, that he would say, Jesus was able to do something that I could not do, to tell patients, you should go to him instead of me. And it doesn't say that Luke stopped being a doctor or, or that he stopped serving people in that way, but rather as he looked at the evidence that that is something that he did, recorded for us in a book so that we would know. Secondly, or, or excuse me, thirdly, sins are paid for in full. Now, we look to the cross for that, and I understand that as you consider evidence, uh, that that can be can be difficult, but definitely the evidence is that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus did go to the cross. We also have the words that he spoke while he was on the cross. But maybe the evidence that that is more important for you to look at today is the evidence that you are sinful to, to begin with. Because we ultimately get to Jesus and the forgiveness but an important part of this is to see the need in your life. You don't have to spend that much time with me to see sin. I'm just going to tell you that. That, that if you were to follow me around, for, for this, maybe this evidence rings more true than, than anything else is how much I need Jesus and I don't know if you're in denial or not. Maybe this is like, you can all just shake your heads and like, yeah, we get a pastor, we're sinful, move on. Uh, but, but that need that we have, each individual person for this forgiveness, for the wrongs that we think, say and do, it's, it's just so important. And then we look to the cross of why it resonates that Jesus went there as the payment for sin. And then the final one is resurrection from the dead. Again, we look at evidence the evidence of the empty tomb. We can look at the evidence that, that Luke went to in this account where the individual was raised from the dead, showing that, that Jesus has power of life and death, following the evidence. And now, what was the response of people? All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. 
But the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And so I guess you could say we have a hung jury, right? That as we look at this, that there were individuals who looked at at Jesus' time and some who believed and some who did not. But as we look at the accounts, we, we recognize that even the Pharisees recognized the evidence. They recognized that there were people who were healed that they had no explanation for. That, that they recognized these miracles, and, and, and so they, they did some mental gymnastics to try to avoid it, but they could not deny the evidence. The final blank you can write is this. Evidence is really neutral. The Holy Spirit uses it to create and strengthen faith. As we, we end this, this message, it ends with evidence like none other. It is. It's evidence like none other in the sense that you compare Jesus' life to any other life. You compare Christianity to any other religion. And specifically dealing with the issue of sin and the forgiveness of it, of God coming into the world of prophecy and fulfillment... You look at a book in the Bible that was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors making prophecies a 1,000 years before that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And my encouragement for you today is if you are someone who continues to be skeptical, that's okay. But continue to follow the evidence. My prayer for you will be the Holy Spirit come into your heart. Because the Holy Spirit does work through this gospel message. In this whole thing, I, I say this all the time, I love it. I'm just a witness. The Holy Spirit is God's attorney. He is the one who argues this evidence. And so follow the evidence. Follow the evidence. Dwell on the evidence. And, and I put you in the Lord's hands and, 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 and pray to him that you would follow it to its logical conclusion. That Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. We have evidence like none other. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you have given us evidence throughout your word that Jesus is your Son. And, and like, like I talked about in the message where, where I could give evidence, someone come in and, and figure out who I am. I could give, give different clues. You give those clues throughout your word. And so, Lord, I ask for every person in here, help us to look at this evidence on a regular basis. This is evidence that is going to last uh, and affect us for an eternity. Help us make good judgments, Lord. Help us listen to the arguments of the Holy Spirit and see clearly that Jesus is the Son of God and one that we believe in and will follow in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. I have to imagine that's the way John the Baptist felt in prison. As, as the answer came back, Jesus is the Christ, that even in prison get some rest, 
even as I go through the difficulties in life, the, the one thing I need to know, Jesus is the Christ, my Savior. As we go from here today, uh, just a, a couple announcements. One of them is there's not volunteer orientation today. Instead, there is a member meeting that will be taking place about uh, 10.20 or so, so you can go out and come back in. Uh, and specifically, the uh, member meeting is about uh, replacing uh, the, our Crosswalk Kids Director, uh, Casey, will be done at the end of this year and uh, that we have uh, someone that uh, is interested and, and we will be taking care of that. So again, that's at about 1020. And as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.